This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. How are we doing? Excellent. It's still, still to this day, this side is always a little more, a little more vocal, a little more vocal. I don't know what it is. We'll work on it over here. It's okay. It's okay. I wonder what it says, right? The, the inner personality workings of human people. That's the, tr- that's the psychological definitions of it. Um, you know, come in, like, sit over here. Over here. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I digress. Um, yeah, so we're doing okay. Everybody survived the freeze-ish, mostly. Wasn't quite like last year, which is nice, um, which is nice to not have everything shut down. Uh, so hope we boiled some water. If you didn't get the notification last night, we're in a boil notice. Um, so I think I got like nine text messages and voicemails from Austin um, telling me to boil water. So if you didn't catch that, uh, we are to boil our water nowadays. So, so um, hypothetical, if you saw Jesus walking down the street and you ran up to him, what would you ask him? One question uh, what question are you asking Jesus? Just go ahead and think about it for a second. Um, what, what is the question you are like, Jesus? What is it? Just think about it. You got something? Maybe it is, Jesus, what is the purpose of life? Like, why am I here? How did we get here? It's one of the most asked questions across humanity. Like, what is my purpose? Uh, maybe you would ask him something about your personal future, like what is my vocation, who, who am I going to marry, am I going to get married, will I have a family? Maybe you're just like, it's just like the, the plaguing question is like, why mosquitoes? Um, I, that was honestly, I thought about that. It's, come on, tell me you haven't asked that question. What is the purpose of mosquitoes in the whole thing known as the circle of life? I don't get it, um, right? So maybe, maybe that's your question, but I love when the Bible just comes straight out with it, right? Just straight to the point, which is what this man does in verse 17. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question that that he's asking. That is a question I would be willing to bet that 10 out of 10 of us would love to hear his answer. Whether that was the question we thought of, I think we would all be like, oh, great question, Jesus, and lean in and catch. What do you got for us? What is the answer to this question because I believe that eternity is written into our souls. Ecclesiastes 3 says that God has put eternity on our hearts. I think that as human beings, we're born with this desire to know eternity because we're eternal beings. It's just a part of, of, of who we are. We, we think it, we wonder it, we're curious about it because I believe that's how God's designed us. He's written eternity into our, our beings. We are eternal beings creatures every one of us yes one day there will be a physical death but our spiritual souls will continue for eternity the question is will our souls continue in eternal life or eternal death and i know that's like oh gosh like i got real serious real quick right but that's that's the question at hand If we're all going to exist for eternity because we're eternal beings, our souls are eternal, are we going to exist in eternal life? That's what the the guy's asking here. Or conversely, would we exist in eternal death? It's one of two options. I think it's very important to know what is eternal life then? What is eternal death? But if you're asking that question, okay, what, what is eternal life? What is eternal death? You may think, oh, eternal life is is existing forever in heaven and eternal death is existing forever in hell and 
and I would caution you to, to not think that way. Heaven and hell is not what makes up eternal life or eternal death. Those are the locations where we spend eternal life or eternal death. Jesus says in John 17 that, that eternal life is knowing God. That, that what makes eternal life life-giving is the presence of God. What makes eternal death in hell is the absence of God. Heaven on earth is living today in this presence with God. Yes, it's not true heaven. Heaven will, God will create a new heaven, a new earth. But, but living in heaven on earth is living in the presence of God. It's knowing God. Hell on earth is living absent of God. God is what makes heaven, heaven. And so if, if our aim is, I just want to live eternally in heaven, and it's not to be in the presence of God, my, my fear is that we, like this man in verse 22, will end disheartened and sorrowful. This, this was me until I was 15. I trusted Christ when I was 15, the summer after my freshman year in high school, and and. I'm looking around, I don't think, any, I, don't think I knew anybody um, before I was 15, not even Stephanie. Uh, but up to that point, that would have surprised you. I cannot remember a day, not a day, like I can't remember not ever being in the church. I mean, I was born, and I think two days later, man, I was in the church. Like, I can't, I, I don't remember a time in my life where I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead. Like, I cannot remember a time in my life where I just didn't believe that. When I was seven, I, I saw a TV show where someone died in the TV show, and it was the first time my seven-year-old brain was like, time out. What? Like, I can get in a car wreck and and be done, right, and fear just flooded me. Like, what, what happens when I die? Well, because I was born in the church, I, I knew, well, you either go to heaven or hell, and heaven's amazing and hell is terrifying, so please not hell, how do I get to heaven? And, and, and I've been taught, well, you ask Jesus in your heart. You, you pray this prayer, and then Jesus comes and lives inside of you, and you get to go to heaven forever. And I was like, well, done, yes. <laughs> Easy one, of course, right? And so I, I prayed this prayer, asked Jesus in my heart, I got baptized, and, and I mean, you would look at me and think like, this kid knows Jesus. Like he, I, I went to church, I went to the youth group, I went to the camps, I, I read my Bible on my own as a middle schooler, like I was doing all the things, I thought I was a Christian. And then when I was 15, I heard God say to me, it's the clearest I've ever heard God speak to me, and he said, Corey, you can either live for yourself or you can live for me, but you can't do both. You see, I wanted heaven. So I was holding on to heaven, but I also really just wanted to live my life today how I wanted to live my life, but don't worry. I asked Jesus in my heart, so I'm good. I'm gonna go to heaven when I die. Like, I, I really wanted both, and God said, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't live for yourself and for me at the same time. It's, it's one or the other. Up to that point, heaven, God was just a means to my end. I just wanted heaven. I didn't, I didn't care so much about God, which really meant that my preference was what valued most. What I wanted, my happiness, my comfort, my eternal comfort is ultimately what I valued most, not God. And in that moment, it was... I mean, it just changed, like the lights came on. I said, all right, God, I, I trust you, I'm following you. You are my answer and my hope. And so, 
The question we're asking today is how does someone inherit eternal life? How does someone gain eternal life? Remember, eternal life is a life with God. We're not just talking about heaven. How, how do you gain eternal life in the presence of God, the fullness of joy in his presence? I believe that every one of us desires that at the depths of our souls. So Jesus, what is it? How do we, how do we gain eternal life? In the first few verses, in verses 13 through 16, we see that there, there's people, doesn't say who, people are bringing children to Jesus that he could touch them and the disciples rebuked them. So you've got people bringing children, toddlers, little ones to Jesus to, that, that he would bless them and touch them and the disciples are like, get out of here. Like the rebuke is a, a strong opposition with the expectation that correction would come immediately. Stop coming in here, we expect you to turn around and leave. Right, the disciples, Peter, James, John, Andrew, right? Like, come on, man. No, no, no. They are rebuking these people who are bringing children, but not Jesus. Jesus responds differently. It says when Jesus saw it, when he saw that the disciples were rebuking them, he was indignant. He was furious. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. To these children belong the kingdom of God. He then goes on and says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The kingdom of God is another way of saying eternal life. Eternal life is another way of saying the kingdom of God, right? If eternal life is in the presence of God, the kingdom of God where God is king therefore is eternal life. So it's just, it's another way to say that. And so Jesus is saying, this is a key verse in us understanding the answer to this question. How do you inherit eternal life? Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it, shall not inherit eternal life. We receive eternal life when we receive it like a child. Now the thing to know about children in this context in this culture, the reason the disciples were rebuking them is that children weren't that highly thought of in this, in this day. They, they, were, they were more thought of as like mosquitoes. They're, they're, they're just consumers. They just latch onto the host and take and take and take and give nothing in return, right? They, they bring nothing to the table, literally. All they do is take, right? They just eat your food, and they're needy, and they're dependent. They're in a posture of humility, and they contribute nothing to the well-being of the family until they grow up, and they can finally, you know, go work and make some money and, and help around the house. And so the disciples are looking at these children, and they're like, this is a waste of Jesus' time. Why are these children coming to Jesus? They can't offer him anything. They can't... They can't and, enhance our ministry, our effectiveness in any which way. So get rid of them. I, I, know this, I, I know this position for children firsthand. We have four of them. <laughs> All the time they're like, Dad, why don't you buy a new car? Like yours is old and mice have lived in it and died in it, true story. <laughs> we call it the mouse UV. And they're like, why don't you buy a new car? I'm like, you, you're why I don't buy a new car. <laughs> like, you know how much it costs to raise a kid to 18? Good gracious, like we just, we're just hemorrhaging money, right? I'm like, come on, can you go get a job yet? Like how old do you have to be? 
How do, we, how do we contribute to this, right? So I understand that, that position, right, where children, they're just needy and dependent, and, and they, they require the gracious gift of another in order to survive, right? Like we, we got several babies starting to pop up around here, right? We, you know, I was talking to, to Anna and Brayden out there, and it, and it was just like, Brayden's the baby. So I was mostly talking to Anna. Brayden's not really <laughs> engaging with me a lot, you know? So... We were just talking about, you know, her working, and, but, but how needy Brayden is. And, and, and you know, like, it, literally without Bryce and Anna's provision, Brayden won't make it. Right? Like, I know that's kind of like, oh, why are you even saying that? Like, it's just a great picture to realize children are completely dependent on the grace of another to provide for their needs. They're not bringing anything to the table. And this is how Jesus says, if you want to inherit eternal life, if you want to enter the kingdom, you must come like a child in the posture of humility, completely dependent and needy. Only empty hands can be filled. Only empty hands can be filled. So this is how Jesus tells us that we we come to him, and it says he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Just one quick thing about that verse. If you ever feel like you're unlovely, unvalued, you're the, on the outside looking in, just know that Jesus came, and it was his agenda. It was his modus operandi to, to bring in the outsider, to bring in the outcast, to touch the untouchable, to love the unlovable, to lift up the ones who have been walked over and forgotten. That is what Jesus did time and time and time again. And so if there's this voice in your head that says you're worthless, you need to know that Jesus sees you and he came for you. If you're thinking I'm unlovely, I've been rejected, know that it was Jesus who was drawn to you. He's drawn to the rejected and the outsider, to the one who's dependent and needy. He is pushed away from the one who can stand on their own two feet and accomplish it on their own. So just know that Jesus sees you. So we've got this side, right, where Jesus says, you want to in inherit eternal life, you want to enter the kingdom, you must come like a child. Empty hands, dependent on the grace of another. Well, then we get to verse 17, and we see the, the opposite side. We see a man running up to Jesus, kneeling before him, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to draw emphasis to his question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, I'm very capable, I'm able, I've been successful in my life, give me my to-do list, give me the punch list, and I will knock it out, and then we're good to go. Tell me what I need to do to gain eternal life. You've got on one side, come like a child that simply receives the gift, and you've got the other one that's like, all right, I can do this, let's go. Tell me what to do, Jesus, in order to gain eternal life. In verse 18, he responds, he's like, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This man is trying to be good enough for heaven. He's trying to be good enough to earn, to work, to measure up. And so Jesus says, okay, if you want to measure, if you want to be good enough, let's make sure that we get the measurement, the, the starting point right. The only one that's good is God. That's your measurement. If you want to go this route, if you want to do, work, earn your way into heaven, fine. That's an option for you. 
but your measurement, the mark that you're aiming to hit is God himself. He alone is the definition of good. And so Jesus sets the bar, he sets the metric for what it means to to earn, to work, to do your way into eternal life. And then he goes on, okay, you wanna know what to do? Do the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And this guy, he's like, done, check, 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 check. I've done all of these since I was just a youngster. Since I was, I'm crushing it, right? At this point, this guy is probably thinking, I'm breezing through this. Like, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Jesus is good. God is good. It's all good. We're good. I'm good enough. I remember at my, my old church talking to the AC repair guy, and, and we just got, you know, sometimes it's an easy conversation. I'm like, oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Okay, so we're going to have this conversation now. <laughs> Let's talk about God. Um, you know, and so I just asked him, what do you believe about God? And he's like, man, I believe that um, God is good and loving and that I'm good enough for the God I know. I'm a good father. I'm a good employee. Like, I, I've messed up here and there, but, but really, I'm a good person. I'm good enough for the God I know. That was his conviction. I'm good enough for the God I know. And I, you look at this, and this guy's like, I'm, I'm good. I think that's, that's honestly, I think that's where a lot of us land. I think a lot of us, we, we compare our goodness to the person next to us, and if we're comparing ourselves to somebody else, there's always somebody else we're gonna come out on top of, always. And so we look around and we're like, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm a good person. Like, I'm doing all these things, probably a couple extra. Check, check, check. I'm good enough for God. I think that's our struggle a lot of times in this context, in this culture is, Look, we're good people, by and large. Surely, if God's good and we're good, then it's good. That's the approach this man is taking. If, if I can be good enough. He says, I've kept all these from my youth. He's, he's really doing the right things. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. I try to put myself in, in that situation. You've got someone running up to Jesus and kneeling before him and asking the question, how do I inherit eternal life, right? Like, that's, that's every pastor's dream. It's like, <laughs> yes, this is an easy one. Like, he's ready to go, and, and by all accounts of it, right, He's doing everything right. But, but Jesus doesn't settle. Like I just, I think a lot of times that we, we hold back from speaking the full truth because we don't want it to get awkward. Right? Like, this guy is crushing it. He's, he's doing a good job. He's eager to know. Like, surely he's, he's a Christian, Right? Come on, how many times have we looked around at people and we're like, of course they're a Christian. Look at them, of course, they're, they're at church. Like they even brought a Bible. They're maybe even taking notes. Of course, they're a Christian. But Jesus doesn't just settle and assume. Jesus addresses the heart of the person. Jesus continues to speak the full 
truth, in love. It is not loving. It is not loving if we don't communicate the full truth to someone. It is not love if we're like, ah, I don't want to have an awkward conversation, so I'll just hold back. I won't ask this question that I know I need to ask. I won't, I won't press here because that could get uncomfortable. That's not love. That is, that is me seeking my own comfort. But Jesus in love takes it a step further. Hey, dude, you are a good person. You're doing so many things right. But the problem is, in your heart, you love something else more than God. And he goes to that first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus would say, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The first and greatest commandment is that we should never have another love more than God. That, that we can do all the right things, but if our heart is the wrong motivation, then we're violating the first commandment and we're not doing the right things. You can do all of the right things, but if my heart is simply to get heaven, then heaven is what I love most, not God. And now I have another God before him and I'm violating the first commandment and therefore I'm no longer good. Look, if you or I want to earn our way into heaven, that is an option for you. It was the option that God gave to Abram. Last week we talked about it, this covenant. I will be your God, you will be my people if you obey my commandments. Right, if you want to earn your way into heaven, that option is there. Just know that the expectation is that we measure up to the goodness of God. Therefore, we have to be perfect from day one to the last. And not just externally, but in our heart, our motivation, our love for God has to always be him first. And the reality of that truth is that none of us measure up. None of us have ever measured up. And this, this man, it says that disheartened, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He loved his things more than God. He was unwilling to let go of his possessions in order to gain and hold on to God. He was unwilling to put God above all else. And Jesus let him go, disheartened and sorrowful. Jesus looks around and says to the disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, man, it's so difficult for this man or for others like him to, to enter the kingdom of God. God. It's so difficult. It's so difficult. Why? Because he has money? Like, is that, is that the, it? Like, if I'm, if I'm rich, like, I'm at a, it's going to be difficult? Yes. But it's not just money. Like, don't get hung up on money. Remember the, the compare and contrast. 
The, the point Jesus is making is one of neediness. To enter the kingdom of God, we are to be like a child, needy and dependent and humble. But when we have everything on our own, when we have money, when we have success, when we have health, when we have prosperity, it's difficult for us to see how brokenly needy we are. It's difficult for us to recognize how desperate and needy and broken we are when we have everything. And so Jesus is saying it's so difficult for this man to enter the kingdom of God because he's got everything. And so it blinds us to seeing that in reality we have nothing. In reality, we're, we're needy. And so the disciples, they say, well, how is it possible then to be saved? Who can be saved, Jesus, if this man who, who has everything, who has all the, the, the possibility, all of the, the steps up in society, has all the potential, if, if he can't do it, who can be saved? If he can't measure up, who can be saved? And Jesus says, it's impossible with man, but not with God, for all things are possible. The hope, the answer is not in our own ability or strength or wealth or what we are able to, to accomplish. Our hope is in God who can do all things. Our hope is in God who can save and who can bring life. It's incredibly difficult when we don't recognize our need, but our hope is in Jesus who is able So what's the invitation? Peter began to say, see we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father, right? There's no one who's, who's become last that won't become first. That's what he says there at the end in verse 31. Many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus is saying that if you trust and follow him, if you let go of everything, of our own accomplishments, if we let go of our own abilities and we trust and follow him, then we will receive eternal life. We'll receive the treasures in heaven that he provides for us, that he gives to us. The invitation that Jesus says is that, yes, it is impossible on our own strength to measure up. It is impossible by our own wealth or abilities or, or, or family lineage to earn our way into heaven. We must enter dependently like a child. And with God, it is, it is possible for us to be saved. How is it possible? Because Jesus came to do for us what we could not do on our own. Jesus came to accomplish for us what we could not accomplish on our own. You have to measure up perfectly. That's the expectation for you and for me. We talked about it last week with the covenant with Abraham. This is what th this man is running into, is that if we want to earn our way to heaven, we have to be perfect, and we can't be. Not, none of us can be. That's why God gave that option Hey, here's the, here are the rules. If you want to earn your way, here are the rules. Do it. He gave that option so that we would see we can't do it. And we need the grace of another to do what we cannot do. We need to hit face-to-face -face with the impossibility of us earning our way. It's impossible for you and for me to earn our way to eternal life. 
We're not good enough. We need to hit that wall so that our eyes can be open and we can see that it's possible by the grace of Jesus alone for us to be saved. Jesus comes and lives the life we are expected to live. He then dies the death we deserve for our sin and in his resurrection, he rises to eternal life and is alive today so that today he can offer us eternal life by faith in him. By leaving everything, letting go of anything we trust or hold tightly to, and just receiving fully with empty hands his forgiveness and his love. So we see here Jesus answering that question. How can, how can you inherit eternal life? How can you have a relationship with the God of this world? It's not by doing more and doing better. It's by receiving the grace of God like a child. We come to him empty hands. I can't do it. I can't do it. I need your help. I'm dependent on you. And Jesus says, yes, for all who have left everything and trusted and followed me, you will be the ones to receive eternal life, life with me forever. So that's our invitation today. That's the invitation that Jesus is giving here. My hope, my hope is that you and I will not trust in ourselves, in our own strength, in our own accomplishments, our own wealth, our own prosperity, our own abilities. My hope is that we will see our neediness and that Jesus alone can give us what we need and that with empty hands we will come and receive the life that he offers us. So, let's pray. God, you are good. You are holy, you are true, you are pure, you are righteous. And your righteous expectation is that we would be righteous, that we would be holy just like you are. And so God, I think that we can all equally agree that we are not holy, that we have fallen short, that we do fall short, that we will fall short again. And so God, we cannot measure up. We cannot earn our way. We cannot do enough to an to inherit, to receive this life of eternity with you. And so God, we we admit our need. We need your help. We need your grace. We need you to do what we cannot possibly do. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.